You are listening to Haftarah, the Shir series where we explore the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Haftarah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Vaschanan, which makes this Shabbos Shabbos Nachamu, as Shabbos Nachamu always coincides with Parsha's Vaschanan. And as we've been discussing in the previous few Haftarah Shirim, the direction of the Haftarahs has changed. There has been a shift in perspective as we look not necessarily at explicit connections between the Parsha and the Haftarah, but the Haftaros have been chosen in connection to the Tekufa, the season. We previously looked at the Tlusta Paranusa, the three Haftaros preceding Tishabav. We, in the previous Haftar, she had discussed the actual Haftar for Tishabav morning a couple of weeks ago. We discussed the Haftar for Tainus Tzibor, which we read this afternoon. It is at the moment of this recording, Motzei Tishabav, it is also Arab Shabbos Nachamu. But now we enter a new series with Shabbos Nachamu and the Haftarah, the famous Haftarah of Nachamu, Nachamu Ami. We begin a new series, the Shiva de Nechamasa. These are the seven Haftaras of consolation. And as we mentioned in the pre-Tishvav Shir, that perhaps these seven weeks of Nechama correspond on a macro scale to the micro version of the Shiva that a person sits when they've lost someone that they love, a close relative, so then they sit Shiva. So now we have the Shiva de Nechamasa, similar perhaps in a parallel of sorts to the seven-week process of Svirasa Omer, where yes, there's somewhat of an Avelis there, but it's also going upwards towards Kabbalah Satora. These Shiva de Nechamasa will culminate in the Yamim Noraim eventually, and that will be a re-Kabbalah Satora, but more on that perhaps for another time. Right now we focus on our Haftarah, which comes to us from Sefer Yishayahu, Perek Mem, Sukim Aleph through Chavav. So it's 41 to 26. As we dedicate this shir, Lili Nishma Simi Rasi Chayrachal Bastavitzvi Harenik Paras Mishkava, Harenishama should have an Aliyah. Now what's interesting to note is that the Haftarah, which forewarned the calamities of Tishavav, which was from Shabbos Chazon, also came from Yeshayahu. However, that was from the very beginning of Yeshayahu. When we get to this Haftarah, which is the beginning of seven Haftaras that we're going to see that revolve around Nechama, we are looking much later in Yeshayahu towards the end. There, the shift in the perspective, as we will talk about very shortly. But the point is that we move from the anticipation of tragedy to hopefully the consolation from tragedy. So with Tishabov now in our rearview mirror, we end that Haftarah series, which we mentioned earlier, the Tlusta Paranus, the Three of Affliction, and now we begin the series of the Shevet Nechamasa, the Seven of Consolation, or the Seven of Comfort, as some translate. And the first of these readings, um, of course, as we mentioned, comes from Sefer Yishayahu, and it is the basis for Shabbos Nachamu, as the Navi declares in the very opening Pasuk, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. Be comforted, be comforted, my nation. And the basis for the selection of the Saftara, and really the simple meaning of the, the Saftara altogether, is that, apparently, despite the fact that the nation currently lives in a state of exile and destruction, which we nationally mourn, as we did earlier today on Tishabav, says Hashem nonetheless, Nachamu. Nachamu, which means to be consoled or be comforted, because the destruction is now over, good tidings of redemption are on their way, and soon 
Hashem's glory will be revealed to the entire world. And indeed, one of the themes of Tishabov, as highlighted by the recurring phrase in the first chapter of Megillus Eicha, is the theme of the lack of comfort. Ein menachem, says Yirmiyahu in Eicha. And he says this in several different psukim that we find in Eicha. It's in Perak Aleph, Pasuk Beis, Pasuk Tes, Pasuk Tazayin, Pasuk Yudzayin, Pasuk Chaf Aleph, that there is an aching lack of nechama as a result of the Chorban Beis HaMikdash and the Galus overall. And surely after a discouraging and heart-wrenching Tisha B'av, the idea of having comfort certainly should be, well, comforting, to say the least. Anytime someone has lost something, or someone they love, or whenever one has his dreams ruined before his very eyes, or in this case, when we have tirelessly yearned for the ultimate redemption, but another Tishbev has gone by and we continue to live in exile. So of course there is a desire to gain that nechama, that sense of comfort. The simple question though is, how does one achieve this nechama? Right, because Tishbev is over. And now we read the words of the Navi saying, be comforted. But a thinking person has to ask, what does that actually help? The facts are that the base of English is still destroyed. Klai Israel still continues to suffer at the hands of its oppressors. And we're all still living in a state of Gaulus. There is still loss. The Gula that we like to talk about and fantasize about has still not arrived. Mashiach, in fact, has not come. So the question is, now what? Tishbev is over? Okay, so we're allowed to eat and maybe listen to music again. But what actually has changed? The answer is nothing. So why or how, in this continued state of exile, should we suddenly be comforted by the words of the prophecy, which still hasn't even come true, it has not come to be in our times? How can one achieve this nechama? just because the Navi said so. The Haftar of Rashab's Nachma would seem to be a great place to look to investigate this phenomenon of Nechama. However, past the first line, the Navi hardly talks about comfort and consolation. This Haftar in its entirety spends a lot of time differentiating between Hashem and the idols, how Hashem fashioned the world and everything in it, while the idols sit idly by and go figure... The question is what any of this has to do with Nechama. Moreover, what new information in the Saftara should lead us to that desired result of Nechama? The fact that God is infinitely greater than the idols is a theme of many passages in Navi, including the Tlas de Parnusa, which preceded the destruction the question then is, what is the Haftar's point in focusing on Akash Baruch Hu's greatness over all foreign deities here? It doesn't really seem relevant. So as far as finding comfort despite the travails of life, interestingly, if we look in this week's Sidra, this week's Parsha Shavua, Parsha Zvashan, we might actually notice that there is another individual who is really experiencing a similar kind of painful challenge relating to perpetual exile and the inability to return to the Holy Land. Right, it's not often that in these Haftaros that we're able to immediately identify a connection, but we find in our parsha that Moshe Rabbeinu, continuing his discourse to the Bnei Israel, proceeds to talk about how he implored Hashem 
to allow him to enter the promised land, to enter Eretz Yisrael, and how Hashem ultimately denied his request and withheld him from fulfilling that one dream he had. The dream that we reflect on, as we reflected on earlier today on Tisha B'av. Yes, Moshe Rabbeinu had made a mistake by hitting the rock in the Mariva instead of speaking to it to obtain water. And yes, Moshe at that moment failed to sanctify Hashem's name by fulfilling Hashem's command. But of course, one cannot help but sympathize with Moshe. It's an undeniably sad situation. Here we have Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest man to ever live, who devoted his entire life to the service of Hashem and Hashem's people. And the one thing that he ever wanted for himself, the one thing that he ever asked, Hashem has decreed that he will not receive that. Moshe doesn't even care to continue leading the Bnei Israel. It's not about the power. He had already appointed Yehoshua to do that. All he wanted to do was just to set foot, enter the Holy Land once just before he dies. But no. Hashem had forbidden him from doing so. Moshe would finish off his time in this world in the state of exile. He would not see the fruits of his labor. He would not see the fulfillment of his own mission. He wouldn't witness the full gula in his time. And certainly this part of Moshe's speech carries a lot of emotional weight. But a simple question one could ask here is why it was important for Moshe to mention these points? Why is he reflecting on that and telling us this sob story? Why do we need to know that he prayed to Hashem to let him enter the land and that Hashem said no? Is it our sympathy that Moshe Rabbeinu is looking for? Is he just getting emotionally overwhelmed as he prepares to die while the people enter the promised land without him? Maybe mentioning these points is Moshe's way of segueing into the topic of the Bnei Israel entering the land eventually, as he's about to teach them how they should act so that they could succeed in the land. And maybe this is all true. Perhaps he's trying to show the Bnei Israel how fortunate that they are, that they will eventually enter Eretz Israel because he won't be. Maybe. But bear in mind, they all know by now that a whole generation before them, their own parents, lost their rights to enter Eretz Yisrael. They don't need Moshe to tell them about his own unfortunate situation. And yet, when we get to the core of this issue as it is presented here, it really is Moshe Rabbeinu's own personal problem. Yes, it's a saddening problem with which we can certainly identify today. But at that moment, it was Moshe's own issue. Why really does Moshe feel the need to talk about this separate and ultimately rejected prayer before Hashem? Before we can answer the original question, how we can attain a chama on Shabbos Nachamu despite continually living in exile, I think that we first have to consider the basis of the question itself. Correct, we're still in a state of Chorban. And while in that state, it's actually quite hard to feel comforted. Apparently, though, the Navi tells us, nonetheless, nachamu, that somehow we should feel nachama. Now, what we can't wrap our heads around is how we can truly be comforted if we're still suffering, if the circumstance has not changed. Indeed, what would make us really feel comforted would be if the suffering ended and Mashiach would come right now. But we want to know how it is possibly of an available option to truly have comfort while simultaneously sitting in Gullus. Now, if we assume that Nechama purely means comfort, then yes, it certainly is hard to feel comfortable in a state of brokenness. But maybe Nechama is not entirely what we think it is. 
So if we're expected to achieve Nechama, even while we're in the state of suffering, maybe there is more to Nechama. So with that in mind, what in fact does it mean to achieve Nechama? Now typically, Nechama is translated to mean either comfort or consolation. And indeed, the first time the term ever appears in the Torah seems to be in a context of hope for achieving that comfort and respite. When uh, Lamech, back in Sefer Bereshis, he names his son Noach. And there are different approaches, if you look at the grammarians, of how to read this word. When Lamech names Noach, he says, Hashem. So, that's where we find the name Noach, Yenachamenu. And if you look at the grammarians, once again, there's a difference of opinion whether or not this, in fact, is the Sharash of Nechama. But according to one approach, the line uttered by Lamech means that this one, Zeyinachamenu, this one will bring us comfort from the work and from the fatigue, the sadness of our hands, from the ground that Hashem has cursed. Right, so we have a possible root of Nechama in the naming of Noach. Now I say that it's a possible root because the other approach is that, that that's quoted by Rashi is that it's a lashon of Menucha. Right? Nechama and Menucha, they might be related, but Menucha means rest and contentment. So um, then we must move on to then the second time that we find this Shoresh, where there is no dispute about the matter. Because shortly after, we find another Pesach in Sefer Baratius, where the root word is used unequivocally in a seemingly different context. In fact, a context that seemingly has nothing to do with comfort. Because as Hashem prepares to destroy the world because of the corruption in mankind, the Torah says, Baratius, Perak Vav, Pesach Vav, Vayinachem Hashem ki which most feel forced to translate as follows, that Hashem regretted that he had made man on earth and that he was saddened toward his heart. Right, indeed, it would not make that much, it might not make that much sense in the simple context to say that Hashem was comforted about the fact that he made man on earth and that he was comforted that mankind had become corrupted, right? The, the the feeling of regret seems to make much more sense here. Though for the purposes of academic integrity, Rashi quotes a couple of approaches here. That There is one approach that says that, no, here Nechama also means comfort. Hashem is comforted by, by the fact that he had only made man on earth and he did not give man access to Shemayim because if man would be corrupted in Shemayim also, Hashem would have to you know, end the entire universe. But that is certainly not the simple Peshah, and Rashi quotes alternatively that this Pasuk is, in the plain sense, referencing the emotion of regret. That again, Hashem has regretted that he had made man. And that's why Hashem ultimately decides to destroy mankind. Now, the obvious problem, though, is that comfort and regret, if you think about it, are complete opposites of one another. When we talk about Nechama today, we usually use it in reference to comfort, and that seems to be the intonation and the, the understanding of our Navi. But, again, comfort is a positive state. 
where one is okay or at least relatively content with the current state of things. But regret is an undoubtedly negative feeling where one no longer approves of the situation and is now unhappy about it. So the question is, what does Nechama mean? Which one is it? How can Nechama mean both comfort and regret? And if it's neither, right, if, if it's both, it seems that maybe it's neither. So then the question is, what does Nechama really mean? So if one thinks about it, there is a common denominator between comfort and regret. Namely, the fact that they are both emotions of a second thought. They are both reflecting and rethinking about an earlier perceived notion or a feeling about reality. And this, if you look in Parshas Hazinu, where the Pasuk says, Rashi there um, explains in Sefer Devarim, Perak Lamed Beis, Pasuk Lamed Vav, that you know what Nechama really means? Nechama is a hipoch machshava, meaning it is a flipping of one's thought. It is a second thought. When one regrets something, he looks back on a decision that he once approved of in a new negative light. When one is comforted about something, he looks back on the reality that he once bemoaned, but now in a new positive light. Thus Rashi says that Nechama is a hipoch machshava lehetiv o for tov or for ra, nechama can be positive or negative. It's a second thought. Thus, the root of nechama accurately means, and would better be translated as we actually find in the art scroll Chumash, is reconsideration. That is what nechama means. Reconsideration. In the positive, that translates to comfort. In the negative, that translates to regret. Thus, Nechama, as we can better understand, really has to do with our personal outlook of the situation. When I thought the situation was good, Nechama, or reconsideration, can come along and make me regret the situation. And yet, when we are in a state of Chorban, in Gaulus, when the situation looks utterly terrible and hopeless, Nechama can come along and bring us comfort, letting us know that despite the situation, there is some hope, and we can go on. We can move forward. Indeed, the situation still has not changed. Or when one loses a, a, a relative, so there's a mitzvah called nichama velam. Right? Nechama does not mean that the person has suddenly magically revived, that its chiyas mason has occurred. But when a person fulfills the mitzvah of nichama velam, coming to comfort the mourners, his job is not to bring the dead back to life, because, of course, only Hashem can do that. But the idea is that if the Menachem, if the Comforter, is doing his job properly, he is helping the mourner digest the reality of a situation, to reflect on that situation and to relate to it in a new way. Not to change the reality, but to help the person relate to the reality, to reconsider the circumstances and maybe to see it in a different way. Similarly here, there might still be exile and pain, that much has not changed. But Nechama gives us a new and calmer way of relating to that pain so that we can keep going in life. We asked before why we should be comforted after Tisha B'av. Well, we could have really asked the question in the reverse way. Why should we even fast and mourn on Tisha B'av at all? Because Tisha B'av is a day of mourning. But why 
is just this one day, a day of mourning. Gaulus exists every single day. Of course, until the Gula comes. But until that point, the base of Migdash was not built the whole year prior to Tishabav, and it's still not built at the current moment. So the question is, why don't we continue mourning and fasting every single day? The answer is that really we should, but we don't, because God knows that we can't. Of course, we cannot survive fasting every single day and crying every single day, but more than that, we cannot live life by wallowing in sorrow, doing nothing but perpetually mourning and feeling hopeless every single passing day. We will never be able to accomplish anything that way. But once a year on Tishbev, we can face the current reality that exile still exists. We can mourn because, yes, it hurts, and yes, we should feel dejected and rejected about that reality. But even with the reality of death, broken dreams, failure, whatever have you, we do not eternally lose hope. We need to reach Nechama, to relate to the reality in a way that will allow us to roll up our sleeves and to just continue with life. But what could we possibly do next if our dreams have been crushed, if our loved ones have been taken from us? How many people, generations, yearn for a ge'ula and yet pass on before they can get the chance to see it in their own lifetime? How many die before they can ever get the chance to enter Eretz Yisrael? How many people die, period? Life doesn't seem to go on for them. And what if, chas v'shalom, that reality is about to target us directly? What if I know that personally I would not be around to experience the gula as it unfolds? What if I knew that my own dreams would never come true in my lifetime? How would I continue each day of my life? What goal could I possibly have left at that point? How would I develop Nechama then? And I believe that Moshe Rabbeinu, as he stands before us in Vashchan, actually gives us the answer. That is because that he knew that he would never accomplish the one thing he desired. He knew without doubt that his personal conception of self-actualization, entering the Holy Land with the Bnei Israel, that would never happen. He worked toward that goal. He prayed for it. He earned for it. He wanted to see the redemption in his lifetime. But as it was for his siblings, death in the state of exile would become his reality. Moreover, Moshe knew that for his purposes, that reality was unchanging. This much we know from Moshe's story at the beginning of our Sidra. What could Moshe Rabbeinu possibly hope for? Why is Moshe sharing all of this with us? So what does the Torah tell us next? What would Moshe do for the rest of the duration of the Sidra? For the rest of the duration of Sefer Devarim? He would proceed to remind the Bnei Israel the next generation of their responsibility in their service of Hashem. He reminds them that Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That Hashem is the one and only trustworthy God that Enod Milvado. There is none beside Him. That they have to love Hashem with all their hearts and all their soul, no matter what happens to them. They have to remember that it was Hashem who took them forth from their exile once before, and that Hashem would ultimately, undoubtedly redeem them and bring them back to Eretz Israel. And this, of course, tells us a lot about how to relate to Hashem, whether or not Hashem is being competed with by other forces, by other false deities, says Moshe, don't weaken in your faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu just because you didn't get what you wanted. When you do ultimately get what you want to go into Eretz Yisrael, 
don't lose sight of things. If we think about it, this reaffirming of what is important at the end of each and every single day is really the message of the Haftarah. We thought at first that the discussion about Hashem versus idols was superfluous. But the Nechama, the comfort in the world, is derived from the recognition that there is only one Hashem and no other, pulling the strings behind the scenes. There is no new information here because Nechama does not require new information, rather a better perspective on old information. If we appreciate that when all else fails, that we still have Hashem, the one and only, that should provide us this Nechama. Coming back to the parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu, more than anyone else, had the right to be upset and disheartened. His dreams wouldn't be fulfilled, but he rolled up his sleeves and continued to do the real job that he was put here for. The same job that each one of us were put here for, to serve Hashem to the best of our abilities. Of course, we would love and we yearn for the Gula to come as soon as possible, and it should in Herbi And of course, we pine to return to Eretz Yisrael. Yes, it should come speedily in our days, but our real goal should be the goal that is ever present before us. The one dream that we can fulfill each day no matter what. The goal of loving and serving Hashem with our entire essence. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted all the same things, and even if his personal hopes were lost, he did not give up on Hashem. He allowed himself to continue to lead the Bnei Israel and to teach them how to themselves become Ovdei Hashem until Moshe Rabbeinu could no longer do so. Yes, even in Galus, in the state of Chorban, even if all hope seems lost, we too can and must continue this mission. We can only do so when we give ourselves that nechama, the true sense of comfort, that reconsideration, which comes not from everything magically becoming okay, but from knowing that no matter what happens, we still have that mission to complete, as long as we're still here, and even if we're going to die trying. Yes, we can achieve that true sense of comfort because we realize that Hashem is in charge, that there is no one besides for Him. We have to know that because Hashem runs the show, that means that in the end, everything will be okay as long as we do our part to pick ourselves up and to try our best moving forward. We shall be to achieve that true sense of Nechama, realize that we still have to complete our mission of devoting our lives to Hashem and to Kuala Yisrael to complete that mission. And Hashem should reveal His glory to us and the world, once again in the form of the ultimate Geula, the rebuilding of the base of Migdash, and the coming of Mashiach and Herabi Amenu. As always, if you enjoyed this year and others like it on the podcast and want to partner up with us with a sponsorship, or if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group, where you can find links to every uploaded share and share them that I repost through to their relevance, then all you have to do is reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the data then base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. Until next time, have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos Nachamu, and thank you for joining us here at the database.